Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to welcome back our special guest today. G.S. Youngblood is the author of a book called The Masculine in Relationship, and he's coming out with a brand new deeper look into embodiment. And that's what our conversation is all about today, is how can people benefit from an embodiment practice? And what does an embodiment practice look like? For me personally, embodiment has changed over the years from 1997 when I got into weightlifting. Uh, that was my introduction to an embodiment practice. I began to understand what the connection between our mind and our body can do for us in building resilience, grit, purpose, and direction in our lives. What I've seen since has evolved into a deeper understanding of what awareness of my body can respond to versus react to, and my own resilience through cold showers, meditation, breathwork, jujitsu, and continued pursuits in weightlifting. In today's episode, we field a couple of questions that we received from our community, uh, both of which bring a lot of value to the conversation between the masculine and feminine energy dynamics and polarity that can exist in a relationship. GS and I do not hold back. We dig deep into modern relationships and we explore exactly where it is that men go wrong in relationships. That's where we kick off our interview today with our special guest, GS Youngblood. Welcome back to the program, GS Youngblood. How are you, sir? Uh, Dave, thanks for having me back on. I, I really did enjoy our conversation last time. So uh, I'm glad we get to do it again. And everything is uh, really great. Since the last time we talked, the, um, the book just continues to sell. And it, there, it's getting to be a lot of word of mouth. I'm not having to put a lot of advertising dollars into it. Um, because it's word of mouth, which is actually pretty amazing because guys tend to do everything in isolation. So for men to actually recommend books to other men is, is somewhat rare. So the fact that it is happening, just it just reminds me of why I wrote the book in the beginning. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of guys in pain. There's a lot of guys who are just, they're confused. You know, they want to be a good man for the woman that they're in relationship with and things just keep going wrong and they're not connecting and she's not opening the way that she used to and she's irritable and ah you know yeah. guys just get to be their their wits end and and you know as we talked about last time that's what I've tried to demystify for men because I really do think there's a code in there that can be you know broken so to speak or cracked rather and you can start to use these principles of masculine feminine polarity, you know, to improve your relationship, to open her up, to reduce the amount of fights and irritability, uh, increase the amount of sex that we're having, which of course, most guys, you know, we use that as our barometer for a lot of things. Right. right. Uh, yeah. yeah, no doubt. Uh, the book you're referencing is Masculine and Relationship, and, and it resonates with me as you say that word of mouth is what's spreading the the. Uh, the purpose for why you wrote the book. And, and yeah, same thing on my side. When, when I began to read it, I got it uh, recommended to me from a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And now I recommend it to um, both my men's groups that I'm involved in, as well as here on the podcast. So um, since that book came out, we had our conversation and, and then we're uh, looking forward to reading more about embodiment in your next work. Yeah, that's that's the, the book that I just released on April 16th. It went out on Amazon and it's called The Art of Embodiment for Men. And, you know, the one of the cornerstones of the blueprint is, is element one, respond versus react, as you and I've talked about a lot before. 
And the, the foundation of respond versus react is embodiment work. This is, this is work that takes your attention out of the thinking mind. It brings it down into the body. And when you have even a small part of your attention on the body, it has the natural effect of, of bringing you out of your mind and more into the present moment. And I, I'll, maybe I'll just not jump into it right away, but that's the, that's the impetus for wanting to write this book because it was one of the number one things. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Embodiment is the number one thing that a man can do to really uh, build his masculine core. And, and I think as I, as, I, as I talk to people, as I coach more people, and then as I just even deepened it in my own practice, I started to realize that we, it needed more follow-up. Chapter, uh, the chapter in the book on embodiment wasn't enough. So I wanted to, mm-hmm. to really dedicate a whole separate book to it, to all the things that I've learned over 20 years of uh, when I started meditation, actually more than 20 years, back in 97 was really when I started mm-hmm. meditating. Um, I really wanted to share that at a deep level. And, you know, Dave, one of the challenges is that I really enjoyed the wide appeal and the, and the great book sales for the masculine in relationship. But this is a narrower book. This is this is not a broad topic that's going to kind of bring the whole landscape into into clarity for you. This is like we're taking one piece of this and we're going deep. So the book is mm-hmm. not for everyone. It's really for men that that have made the commitment that say, I want things to be different in my relationship. I need yeah. things to be different in my relationship. I'm willing to put in the time and the effort to go deep on this thing that, you know, GS, you're telling me is really going to help change my life. And that's who I want to buy this book. People that really, men that really want to make a change in their relationship and also to become more grounded men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've said that a couple of times now so far that the men really do want to show up in their partnership. Mm-hmm. And earlier you mentioned that uh, they're not quite understanding where they go wrong. So let's answer that question first. Where, where do men go wrong in relationship? Um, it's very simple. The, our woman gets upset. Energy comes at us. And, we, and that induces anxiety in us. I mean, men, we want to, we wanna, you know, our egos want to feel like we're competent. They want, we want to feel like we're loved. We want to feel like we're accepted. You know, we want to feel like we're winning in relationships. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. It's just how we are, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's celebrate that way we are. But the problem in which she's upset, we feel the opposite of those things. Anxiety arises. And then the next thing we do is usually some kind of non-masculine behavior that, that is going to make that anxiety stop. So for instance, like if she's upset at me to then begin to defend myself, you know, she gives me emotion. I start to defend myself with information because I think, hey, she's got kind of some of her facts a little bit wrong. I'll just explain this to her and she'll stop being mad and the anxiety mm-hmm. will go away. It's going to be great. Here we go. And of course, we all know that it never works. Um, stonewalling, you know, she's upset. We kind of go stoning. That's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. we, we making the, we're making the anxiety stop by kind of numbing ourselves to it so if i can't feel it then there's no anxiety Mm. Um, we both know those are not successful relationship patterns um yeah and and not even relationship uh not even intimate relationship if you do that shit at work too it's not going to work now it has less impact than in your intimate relationship so there had to be a better way so the way that men fail themselves is we anxiety arises and then we do something to try to make it stop and that something is relationally dysfunctional And that's the, like, if I had to generalize this at the most meta level, 
that's what men are doing. Now I can get into a hundred examples of, of what specifically we're doing. I think I just gave one of them with the defensiveness, but that's the pattern over and over. So what's the, what's the remedy? You know, that's the, I put that out there for my right. question, embodiment, because mm-hmm. embodiment teaches you how to number one, come out of your thinking mind. So that's one. And two, how to tolerate and be with that intensity instead of the compulsive panicked need to make it stop. Because if I can just sit with this, with this intensity within me, it's not going to control me as much. You know, I don't have to get away from it at all costs, which is what most of us do when we get anxious. So that's why I think embodiment is the number one thing a man can do to build up his masculine core because you become more grounded, you become less reactive. And from that non-reactive place, you can then be in relationship more out of choice than compulsion to make something stop. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. And I can replay moments in my life where I got reactive as opposed to responsive. And what I've found after, after beginning a, an embodiment practice for myself is that outside of conflict in my relationship, when that anxiety shows up, I'm training my central nervous system for response over reaction in the future. I'm preparing myself to better handle that anxiety that shows up in my body at work or in my partnership or on the road, (laughs) you know, road rage is something that's real. And I find that an embodiment practice prepares me for those moments better. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And maybe I could just comment why, you know, at least why I think that dynamic takes place. Because we we're all in our thinking mind, you know, all day, guess what, all day long, what do we do? We stare at our phones, we stare at our laptops, we read messages, we read social posts, we read articles, we watch videos, you know, like, we're just inundated with information. So of course, we're all in our analytical mind, when it comes to a relating. And so we're getting you know, very logical and analytical. And so stimuli come from the world, like they surprise us with, with, you know, when people are upset or having other strong emotions. And then our mind kicks in with our defenses, with our interpretations and projections, like, you know, your woman, you walk in the door and your woman's all upset at you. And, and, you know, your mind's like, oh, she's just being kind of a cranky bitch. Like that's your explanation to yourself. And then you believe it. And then you start treating her as if that's what's true when there's probably something else more that's deeper going on with her, mm-hmm. but you believe the story and the projection of your mind because your mind is trying to protect you in all kinds of ways. So what if you could get out of that? What if you could actually just be in the moment and she's having her experience, but you can actually be in proximity to it, you know, and you do that by coming out of the mind, the thinking mind and all of its stories and projections and, and having some of your attention down on the body. The, the reason that works is because these stories, you know, they're thoughts, obviously, and thoughts are always about past and future, you know, because if it's about now, you're just experiencing it. Otherwise, it's a thought and a story and a memory about past and future or projection. When you're with sensation, sensation only exists in this moment. From moment to moment. Yeah, I see you nodding. So you get this. Mm-hmm. So when you have some attention, you don't have to have all of your attention. Like it's not like you're, you know, kind of like focused on your body solely, but you just have some attention. And, and I'll describe, we'll go into more what that means, but just need a little bit. It anchors you to the present moment. It's like a trail of bread comes out of breadcrumbs 
out of the stories back into the present moment. So you anchor to the body, you anchor into the present moment more. And mm -hmm. uh, but you probably feel this, but you don't you do martial arts? Did you tell me that? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a purple belt in jujitsu. Yeah. And that presence on the mat is incredibly important for my safety and yeah. also my success in the sport too. So yeah. what comes up for me when you're sharing that presence in the moment, and you said earlier, can you sit with it when it comes up with you? And, and I also tune into when I'm grounded. I, I took a hike with the dog earlier today. It's Memorial Day and uh, the trail was really busy. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping to get out into a little bit of nature and solitude. And I found myself in my head. And when I'm in my head and in my thoughts, in my thinking brain, I couldn't hear the crickets. I couldn't mm. hear the locusts. I couldn't hear the birds. Wow. And every time that I became present to the animal sounds, not just the wind, not just my feet yeah. touching the ground, I got present to the sounds of nature. That's when I knew I was in the present moment and feeling yeah. grounded and um, embodied. Yeah. You hit it on the head. It's like, what are the, what are the stimuli in the moment, in the present moment? And you named a couple, you know, the wind, feeling the sensation of wind on your face. Uh, the birds, you know, the, the audit, it's an auditory sensation, right? You know, and just tuning into that in the moment. And, and then with embodiment, you're doing all kinds of physical sensations that, that I talk about a lot. So yeah, you hit it on the head. It's really using what's happening in the now to come more, become more present in the moment. And, and then I don't know, you, maybe you were on that hike by yourself and the dog, but like if you, if you then went into a relational situation, you're gonna be way more functional, way yeah. more connected and present. It's gonna feel a lot better to your feminine partner mm -hmm. when you're in that state. It's palpable mm -hmm. for them, palpable. Yeah, I, I, can, I completely agree. And I also find that that time alone, that time in solitude away from my partner, if I were in a partnership, mm -hmm. is very important so that I can return to the relationship grounded, embodied, yeah. um, a healthier version of myself. And it, yeah. it doesn't have to be a hike. It doesn't have to be jujitsu. What else would be helpful on this topic before we move on? Well, um, I think let's just talk about a daily practice because I've kind of been yeah. skirting around embodiment and talking about it rather than actually going into it. So maybe we should, yeah. you know, go into it. It's like, okay, cool. You sold me on embodiment, but what does that mean? <laughs> what, did I, what did I just <laughs> sign up for? So really it comes down to a daily practice and, you know, em embodiment is this combination of, you know, breath is part of it. Meditation is part of it. Movement is part of it. Uh, creating intensity uh, experiences is part of it. And, you know, different embodiment exercises include different things. Um, one of the things I, sorry, two of the, two of the principles that I, that are a bedrock of how I teach, um, are attention and intention. And people know what those mean. Um, and, and I, and, you know, meditation practices, sometimes we'll, we'll talk about these things, but I find they only talk about them tangentially, but for me, it's an every moment kind of thing. So you don't need a lot of fancy, uh, you know, the coolest Kundalini practice that they discovered in ancient Tibet. You know, it's like, you don't actually need anything fancy. You need to have consciousness around where you put your attention and the quality of that attention. And then you have to have consciousness around bringing intention to any breath or movement that you're doing. So. You know, the simplest 
you know, embodiment exercise in the world is for you and I to sit here and we'll, we'll breathe in, you know, in through the mouth, out through the mouth. So it's, so the simplest like, duh, okay, great. You broke, you breathed in and out, but, <laughs> but think about bringing your attention. So even though kind of my attention is a little bit on my talking and seeing you visually, see if I can bring my attention down to my belly and the way that my actual soft tissue stretch with the inhale. So just, why don't I coach you through it? So just go ahead and take your slow in breath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Take your slow in breath, but I want you to drop your attention to the belly and just feel your skin stretch. And then as you exhale, now you can feel the skin start to relax and contract. So you're directing your awareness down to a specific body part. That's part one. And part two is that attention is not thinking attention. So there's a way that you could sort of picture the mind or sorry, picture the belly. You could think about the skin stretching, but it's, it's sort of an arm's length experience, but instead you just actually just feel it, feel the visceral sensation of the stretch. Mm -hmm. So that's your attention. It's the, it's where you put your attention and it's the quality of the intention attention rather and that's a moment by moment practice it's not like okay i'm going to put my attention down there and then i'm going to drift and go on autopilot it's it's you actually moment by moment you're feeling it when you have your feeling attention down lower in the body just you know try it you'll see them the thoughts just naturally go out of your mind and this is where i find embodiment to be um way more compelling than meditation because in meditation you're using the mind to notice thoughts and then let go of those thoughts. So it's the mind governing the mind. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. to me, that's a little incestuous. It's like the, the, you know, the fox guarding the head house. Whereas with embodiment, when you turn your attention towards sensation, not only is it kind of harder to, uh, excuse me, easier to stay with it, but it just, it just naturally works to crowd out the thoughts. You don't have to let them go. They just kind of go away on their, on their own because you're paying attention to something else. And that in this mm -hmm. case is sensation. So that's about the attention. And then the, the other part is the intention, you know, okay. You know, breathe, Dave, do that breath. I just showed you begin. Okay. And, you, and you'll just, you'll decide and now you'll just start breathing. And then you're thinking about baseball. You know, you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Like, you actually haven't brought your intention to the breath. So what I'd say is let's do the breath together. Actually, I won't do it. I'll, I'll talk. So go ahead with the in-breath. But I want you to really consciously choose when you start that in-breath. I want you to choose the next moment that you continue the in-breath. Now keep choosing the next moment. Now it's choose to slow and stop. Now make the conscious choice to turn around and start the exhale very slowly choose to continue the exhale, choose to continue the exhale, et cetera, until you have fully. So what you're doing is you're now bringing intention to breath and movement. It's a wonderful muscle to stretch and to strengthen because we wanna live with more intention. We wanna speak with intention. We wanna move with intention. We wanna react with intention. Everything we wanna to start to slow down and bring a choicefulness to it. And, and practicing intention in the smallest of things, which is like breathing, actually maps over to your real life. So you, what you'll find is that you'll just, because you're practicing intention, you'll start to slow down in life and start to choose and operate out of choice rather than just sort of habitual reaction in your life, which is what we all do, is what we mm -hmm. all do.
Mm-hmm. So bringing this quality of intention is way more important than like the newest, coolest Kundalini breath that I might show you, right? It can be, you can bring these qualities that strengthen very important muscles, even in the simplest of breaths that I showed mm-hmm. you, you know, it really doesn't get any simpler than that. Yeah. I feel that when I, when I practice breath work and meditation and that intentional breath work can be separate. Mm -hmm. And I almost find that when I'm doing breath work, it's easier for me to meditate, quote unquote, meditate, Mm -hmm. like, because the thoughts go away when I'm tuning into my body and connecting, connecting my consciousness to my body awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just say everybody out there, never do pure meditation again, people like never, because there's, I think there's this, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek a little bit, but I think there's a much more effective path to uh, not only an effective practice in the moment, but also sticking with it, which is really the biggest mm-hmm. problem, I think, for most guys. They're like, yeah, I tried meditation. I got bored and drifted off and really it just fell off my radar. I mean, that's a common story. That was me for a number of years starting in 97. It was just hard mm-hmm. to stick with it. But I, I find embodiment so much more compelling to stick with it. And I find it gets a lot better results for really grounding my own nervous system and my, my thinking mind. Yeah. I can see that as somebody who likes to notice, I notice my embodiment way more often than I would notice meditation and its Mm -hmm. benefits. Yeah. I also, I also think I understand what you mean when you bring intention to something, uh, when the man brings intention to breath work or to an embodiment practice, Mm -hmm it's a little different than bringing intention to meditation. Like meditation, like you said earlier, keeps me in my head. Notice my thoughts, move away, move back mm-hmm. to where am I returning to? I'm returning back to my body anyways mm-hmm. yeah. in that moment. Yeah, it's, it's so true. So I, I, this is why I really am encouraging guys because I think meditation is a much more broadly understood and practiced tradition, but it, I think it's also way more uh, it's quit way more often than, than anything else. Cause it's hard to have that, you know, practice that sticks. <sighs> okay. I wanted to see if there was anything else I wanted to say about the practice of embodiment. Sure. That, I mean, we really, we talked the simplest of things more to illustrate the, the, the framework. I call that the A and I framework. So it's like the mm-hmm. A and I is attention and intention. So yeah. very, very obvious. Um, and that's yeah. the framework in which I teach. And then I take guys into a lot of uh, exercises that really, we, I'll tell you what we do. We use, we use breath as a source of sensation. We use gravity and we use uh, intensity. And gravity is one of my favorite. Like you can always use gravity. I mean, just think about it. Just drop your attention to your butt and you feel the weight in the chair. Then you can do all kinds of embodiment around feeling that weight. And that's actually one of my, favorite techniques when I'm it's one of my favorite practices is to really feel that sensation of weight but Mm -hmm. then to bring that into real life where you know my woman might be fired up about something and she's got a lot of energy pointed at me you know I just drop my attention down to my feet if I'm standing there and I feel the sensation of weight even while I am with her so I'm audibly and visually I'm with her but the other half of my attention is down feeling my sense of weight it instantly anchors my nervous system and grounds it and i'm and i'm much more present and able to handle the feminine intensity that's coming my way um 
so not only is that an in the moment practice, but I, pretty much every session I'm, I'm having guys sit with the sensation of weight and then be with the outside world. It's a, it's a technique I called split attention. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the bedrocks that I do in almost, almost every embodiment session that I lead. Right. Yeah. Before we move on, I think you touched on a key point that we, that we could expand upon. And, and that's when men quit or when men have a hard time with discipline around an embodiment practice. Mm -hmm. So let's talk briefly about why it's challenging to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And then a few ways that, that men could um, improve their discipline around this practice. Yeah. Well, you know, this is an age old problem. Why don't we stick with things? And it's, you know, it's a lot of FOMO. I, I mean, I use that that phrase in a certain way, but it's actually a, a total section in the book about, about FOMO. It's like, oh my gosh, there's this other thing that I need to be doing more than this, you know? And we fool ourselves that we can't actually carve out the time. Uh, you know, I don't think it's anything different than going to the gym and being lazy about that. Um, but I do think there's a certain flavor where a lot of guys are willing to do the mental thing. Like they'll buy my book and read it. Mm-hmm. But to do the the thing that's not just the mental exercise, but to actually have to throw yourself into something and actually you're gonna feel more, you're gonna experience more, that's not our forte. I think there's an extra layer of resistance around something Agreed. like this, yeah. more than just going to the gym, you know? Cause to go into the gym, you just grunt some, some you know, reps out and you don't have to feel anything, you know? But in this, you're gonna, the way I teach you, you're gonna feel a lot more. So I think there's some natural resistance in that. To me, the, 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 it's like anything, you, you need an accountability group. You know, guys, I say, look, do, just do a seven-day challenge, <clears throat> seven challenge. Just say for the next seven days, I'm going to put 10 minutes on the timer, which isn't very much time, and I'm going to do it for the next seven days. And just w- what will happen is with embodiment, you'll start to see good results. You know, even in a week, you can start to kind of feel your nervous system come down a little bit. Maybe not irreversibly, but it's it, it started. And um, just do it for seven days with a timer for 10 minutes, and then use that as motivation to do the next seven days. I think those are right. some of my suggestions. Right. Yeah, it sounds as if a, a man could get a lot of improvement in self-trust around that seven-day commitment, you know, mm-hmm. when he sticks to something that he's really wanting to experience. And um, you mentioned going to the gym and throwing some weights around that to me, it's where I started, you know, that was uh, the gym was an introduction to personal growth and embodiment for me. Um, And then when I began to connect the dots with like, well, it's easy to feel the stress of the weights. I'm open to that challenge. I'm Mm -hmm. leaning into that challenge. Mm -hmm. And I feel the results, you know, that soreness. And then I see the adaptation. You know, that's mm-hmm. what a man is saying to himself. I look yeah. good. I feel good. Um, feel strong. Right, right. And that's, that's a great way to begin an embodiment practice, connecting our, our consciousness to what we feel in our body. And then we can start to peel back layers of like, what else, what else am I able to feel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've, I believe that a great point you made was connect with a group because yeah. we can go to our men's group, you know, one of my two men's groups are options to, hey guys, this is what I'm feeling. Well, have you been there before? What do you feel when I say that out loud? And oftentimes mm-hmm. I don't even need the reflection. I'm just hearing mm-hmm. myself narrate 
what I feel out loud. And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that brings some more awareness around what I'm feeling. Yeah. Not just in my body, but in my emotions as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, I love that you sort of connected this, like feeling your emotions versus feeling physical intensity, because that is, that's, you know, it's hard for guys to feel. We're all like that. You know, we're just denser and we don't need to be ashamed about it or anything. This feeling down into the body, even that act of feeling your belly skin stretch a little bit maps over in your ability to actually feel what the hell is going on inside of you emotionally. And that's one of the ways I love this because now that I'm, you know, have been deep in the practice for a while, like my feeling body has grown immensely. I can feel into my woman's pain and that's the number one thing she's wanting. She's wanting to be felt. So we're not doing this for them. We're doing this so we can have a fulfilling relationship that's not about a bunch of criticism and fighting and lack of sexuality. We want it about closeness and fun and sexuality and connection and successful relating. And one of the ways to do that is to be a more feeling creature of her emotional state. Because if she feels you feeling her, that's very satisfying to the feminine nervous system. And it's really going to open up a lot of things. So you know, there's a reason we're doing this. And it's not only to be in the present moment, it's not only to be in our thinking mind, but it's also to increase our capacity to feel what in the hell is going on inside of us and what is going on inside of her. And, mm -hmm. and that is masculine. That's one huge part of masculinity that I think is maybe not as counterintuitive for a lot of guys or like, I thought masculinity was about like clarity and direction and boom and confidence. Right. And yeah, that's part of it. That's stage one you know, or, or phase one of building your, that's sort of like within you build that. And, but then if you want to be in relationship, you got to go into the relational piece. So a lot of what I'm talking about is, is what I, what I refer to as the relational masculine. So it's first about getting your own upright masculine, uh, masculine power and energy developed. And then it's taking that and then learning to relate with that. So again, it's that relational masculine capacity that, that I teach and is, is part and parcel of this embodiment work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's dig into that just a little bit. What I, what I heard you describing is when the feminine feels that you feel her mm -hmm. and without getting shaken and without getting ungrounded or dysregulated, I really, really appreciate that word over anything mm -hmm. else. Like when somebody uses the word triggered, I more accurately describe that as being dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So the masculine energy can hold that grounded presence, which is what I hear you describing by not becoming dysregulated by all the emotions that his partner is feeling in the moment, not taking on those feelings for himself, not taking that personally, and also being present while staying grounded. Am yeah. I, am I saying that clearly? Yeah. I mean, I would just, I would describe it in slightly different ways, but we're really saying the same thing. It's, it's like, when she comes at you in energy, you can just get blown out and, and we'll call it dysregulation. And then the next thing you do is some stupid thing to make your anxiety stop. Some non-relational, non-connection creating thing that you don't want to do. So you put that aside and yeah, it's, it's a tricky art. Like, how do I be with, I don't, how do I, and then not take it on because a lot of guys will feel blamed because probably she's putting some blame in there. And so we don't want to be wrong. So then we get defensive. But instead, how can we be with it, be present, feel it, feel what it's like to be her, 
but without taking that on and then going into stories about how we're getting blamed and we got to defend ourselves. Like mm-hmm. that's the art of this. It's so tricky, mm-hmm. you know, as you or, or fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to like make it stop. <laughs> Which so, I think is the, is the underlying goal of that masculine uh, dysregulation in the moment is like, how do I make this feeling stop? It's so intense for me. Yeah. I, I need to either escape numb yep. or just push it away yeah. or over the top overcome it i think it's almost like taking up the space in a dysregulated way is another strategy that's not relational yeah it's so true it's really true um and you know what you said about it's like being with this intensity learning to just be with is a huge part of what we're trying to do here i think i you'll recall i said earlier i focus people on three different types of sensations there's gravity there's breath and there's intensity. And I didn't explain what intensity was, but intensity are, are exercises you do that deliberately create an intensity within you. Um, holding the breath, holding your, you know, your arms up in a posture. Um, we do a lot of cold immersion. You know, these are all forms of intensity. And so what I do is I, is I really uh, bring clients into those in pretty much every session, at least one of those. And then, but there's a relational context that I give to it about being with the intensity, but also visualizing being with the other is what I call it. And so a lot of, a lot of what I do is not just create an intensity in a vacuum and see how much you can tolerate, but it's, can you actually stay relational in the midst of that intensity? Like that's tough. That's really tough. But when you train your body mind to handle physical intensity, it totally maps over into a capacity for relational and and emotional intensity. So by training our bodies and then adding the relational context in practice, it allows us in in the real life of relating to actually tolerate a lot more. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, like the cold showers have been a huge uh, stepping stone for me in terms of a, a higher level of capacity over the years mm-hmm. that's, that's just one example but I, right. I love the intensity stuff you know guys like it too because it's kind of <laughs> but uh there's it's bigger than that um it's more about more than just showing how how much pain you can handle but it's about growing your relational capacity mm-hmm. yeah that resonates uh, a challenge that i face in that intensity is <clears throat> when i hold the breath mm. i feel a lot of intensity a lot totally. of fear shows up for me there you know, it, it's almost enacting that, that fight or flight in me, that sympathetic nervous system. That's like, uh, shock, intense <laughs> feelings of like, yeah. wow, I'm willingly, consciously, purposefully, intentionally holding my breath. Why am I freaking out? Yeah. There, I was going to say, there's a panic to holding your breath. As you said, the fear that comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we do Wim Hof breathing, we do a lot of that, that breath holding, which I'm sure you, you've been yeah. exposed to. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds as if I could lean into that a little bit more in my own practice, whether that be during the cold shower, because I find myself like uh, cringing or holding against that, that, yes. uh, that temperature. Yes. Um, and I've become resilient to that and adapted to the cold showers. And yet I still have that intense feeling during breath work. Yep. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, I, 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 on my website, I sell a short lesson uh, it's just a mini course on cold immersion and kind of give a protocol for how to go into the cold immersions. You know, it's more than just like cranking it down to cold and toughen it out as long as you can. 
you know, there's a whole relational context that you can use to train stuff better. Um, and I, I love the cold, the cold work so much. That's why I put that out. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take a quick break from our conversation to invite you to take advantage of an opportunity to work with me now. I've just had a couple of spots open up for one-on-one -on -one coaching where you and I will sit together to unravel what it is that's coming up for you in your life, relationships, career, and wellness journey. That could include anywhere from an embodiment practice all the way up to gaining a deeper self-awareness through the Enneagram and attachment theory. If that's something that you're interested in exploring, don't hesitate to message me on Instagram at DaveGlazer underscore CSCS, or head on over to my website, DaveGlazer.com to engage with me today. Now let's get back to the conversation with GS Youngblood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I put it out there to my, to my audience, to my network. Uh, I asked for some questions. I, mm. I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing you today and, and I received a couple of questions. Then the one I want to start with actually relates to uh, the feminine energy coming at the masculine in that moment of relating, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be in conflict or it just in the energy that shows up. And, and uh, the question is, how can women better support the men trying to build their he healthy masculine? Well, I can tell you what not to do. It's don't tell the man to go do anything build, about building more man. It's like, if you say, go be more masculine, go learn to have be more masculine, you can pretty much assure it's that he'll resist that. So, yeah. but you can show for a man that has chosen to take it on and where you do see even small changes, it can help to really reinforce those with appreciation of like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm noticing, you know, you just seem a little bit more grounded and I love it, you know, and mm -hmm. talk about your, you know, to the women, I say, talk about your pleasure at feeling even 5% more, foster the, the shoots that are coming up out of the ground uh, with that. The other piece that I would add to this is not quite what was asked, but I'm going to say it anyway. <clears throat> Women, if you want to be more successful relative to your man's reactions, the number one thing you can do is the purest expression of your heart. And so there is always, well, I wouldn't say always, there is often, you know, women showing their upset and they think they're just showing their emotions, but they're smuggling in blame. And that's where it goes wrong because you've now given him something to defend against by smuggling in a little bit of blame. And yeah, it may have been this thing he did that triggered off your reaction, but the minute you start to blame is the, is the minute it's going gonna, it's gonna to really shut down his empathy. You know, blame kills empathy. So give him the purest expression of your heart, you know, which means, you know, if it's something he did, it's like, what did I observe when you said X, you know? I really felt myself get super scared, you know? And, and so you're really talking about your own experience. And I think people get this. You talk about your own experience, but you know, the minute you smuggle in any blame, any kind of toxicity, you're, you're giving him something to defend. So give him nothing to defend against. Open your heart and share from the heart and you're gonna find him having to defend himself less. That doesn't mean it's your fault mm -hmm. that he's defending himself. It just means if you want to bring your, your own success into your own hands, give the purest expression of your heart, not the blame, not the toxicity, not the after effects of something that might've happened to you 20 years ago. Purest expression of this heart, this moment, and your longing, your longing to be closer to him in certain ways. And I think that's the number one thing that, that, that women can do. So I, I gave you sort of two answers there, you know. <clears throat> 
Yeah, the second half there, thank you very much for sharing that. I hear a lot of personal responsibility in there mm-hmm. of how can each person take personal responsibility for how they communicate with one another. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. And we, we always want to blame the other person because it feels good. If you're wrong, I'm right. I can be more relaxed, you know? So can you resist that temptation and stay in your heart and stay in the moment stay within yourself of expressing what's going on for you. Yeah. It's so important. It's self-responsibility. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And the second question is, uh, is very common. I hear this a lot. I I work primarily with women in my network and my coaching business, and they're all very strong, independent, empowered women. And so I'm not surprised that this question came to me. (laughs) And I know it's not hypothetical. Yeah. Do you do you see a shift in masculinity with women becoming more independent? Do I see a shift in masculinity? What is what do we mean by that? Do you do you know it? I, I feel as if we could we could <clears throat> definitely explore what the uh, what is what is lying underneath this question, and you know a little bit of historical background. World War II, there were a lot of men who went off to war and women were forced to be head of household and wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, we can almost picture that being like a starting point or like the industrial shift, men off to work all day long. And then we get the next generation down where men weren't shown how to be masculine because the man in their household was always out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're coming up on this divorce rate that it's, it's extremely high, yeah. uh, 50% or so. And that puts the woman in another place of head of household, independent, yeah. almost in a place where they're forced to have to step up into that role. Yep. And I, I think in response to that, there is a shift in masculine energy when in response relationally, with that independent woman. I think David Data really clarified a lot of these things for us. And you've probably seen this. We, first of all, I have a couple answers here, but first we're talking about energies and these energies can be fluid. You know, and I talk a lot about guys and their masculine and women and their feminine, but that's just for sort of ease of 80% of what most people are kind of signed up for, but it's just energy. So Note that a woman can just as easily go into her masculine energy and, and can bring it. I mean, I know, I've known some women just were like, kabam, as well as any man that I knew. So just energies that aren't owned by any particular gender. Mm-hmm. And, and therein lies the challenge, right? Because a woman will often, many women, I'll say, I don't want to generalize too much. Many women go to a job and they're in their masculine. The workplace is primarily an arena for masculine energy. It's getting shit done. It doesn't mean that the feminine energy doesn't come in, but it's usually not the primary energy required of you. So, the, you know, you're a woman, you go all day long and then you come home and you're still in that. And it's like, shit, how, how you know, the guy's like, oh my God, she's so powerful and I can't get her out of that. And it just, I feel like we're butting heads here. And that's the problem with the modern world. So mm-hmm. I think that's where, but it's, the more that we talk about this masculine and feminine, I think it controls us less in terms of roles we have to play. And so we can learn to be more fluid. So for men, if you've got a woman that's in her masculine energy all day long, and, and the two of you buy into this, learn the skills to transition her out of, of, the, of her masculine energy into her feminine energy. 
I'm just going to speculate here, but nine out of 10 times, if you do it well, she's going to like it. She's going to want that. And the 10th, you know, who knows why that is? It's just various reasons. So men, you have to learn to transition her out. That is firmly within your capability. And you want to know how? Live the blueprint. Yeah. Okay. Live yeah. the blueprint. And that's, I think that's the, I'm sort of mapping over to my second answer, which is when I came up with the masculine blueprint, I was saying, we live in a modern world where a lot of things have changed. What is masculinity? What's a form of masculinity that doesn't mean I'm going to, I have to subjugate the females, but I can be in my own power and it allows her to be in her own form of power. And that's where the, the masculine blueprint came in. So maybe we'll just remind your, your, your listeners. So element one is respond versus react. This is a lot about grounding your nervous system, cultivating the quality of stillness and choicefulness and embodiment is, is, is a huge part of that. So that's element one. Element two is provide structure. So this is, this is the man that brings, he has clarity for what he wants, needs, what his boundaries are, what he thinks is right for himself as well as the couple. He's attuned to her needs. So he's folding those in implicitly or explicitly. And then he's creating structure and direction within the relationship. doesn't mean he's the only one. It just means he's bringing more structure and direction. And she might be doing it in other ways and you meld the two. But that's element two, which is provide structure. Element three is create safety. So physical, financial, and emotional. And uh, you know, I think most people get physical and financial. Emotional safety is so important to a woman or really a feminine being relaxing back into her receptive, responsive energy. And so, right. you know, that's, that's a definition of masculinity that I don't think steps on anybody's sovereignty or anybody's rights or anything like that, but it is powerful. And that's how any guy, any average Joe can look at that template and say, I can live more of that. I can cultivate a little bit more in each of those three. And so, so I say, yeah, you know, the, the, the question asker, asker, was like, you know, how, what has, how has masculinity changed? And I think my offering of the blueprint is sort of my definition of what, what masculine energy looks like in the modern world, mm -hmm. whether it's inhabited by a man or a woman, although primarily mm -hmm. I'm talking about men, but, you know, I've like, I had a few lesbian women uh, reach out to me and they're like, does this still apply? And my answer was resoundingly, yes, absolutely. If you're in a polarized relationship, it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. So I, you know, I hope I've answered the question. I'm open to any follow-ups, but uh, that's what I would offer. Right. Yeah. What I heard you describe in, in describing masculinity in the modern world is that the shift has occurred away from that. And what I heard you describe in the pillar two provides structure. There's a ritual that I like to talk about of both partners coming home from work and maybe the feminine partner goes and changes clothes before they do anything else. Or um, maybe the masculine partner has music playing if they arrive home first, or as soon as they arrive home, throw on music and dance just for a minute or two, or uh, be close and hug for just a moment or two before you do anything else. And mm -hmm. this is a, a structured ritual in a household that's agreed upon that they both enjoy. Yeah. And it helps them ground. It helps the masculine ground because he's providing safety, providing structure, being very responsive and non-reactive. Mm -hmm. And then they can get into the flow of the evening. Yeah. Yep. Doing I like your example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the perfect example of, of a man offering some structure. It's like, Hey babe, we come home. 
we're kind of both in our in our work energies like let here's some let's do this thing together are you up for that and so yeah. I, I think that's a great example i love that well gs thanks for coming back thanks for spending the time with me and and uh before i let you go how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about embodiment and the masculine in relationship yeah i think that the easiest way to to access my work is well certainly go to my website which is gsyoungblood.com get on the waiting list you'll start to hear about new things that i'm offering um you can go to my Instagram site, GS Youngblood M-I-R, Masculine in Relationship. Um, and then there's a, there's a Facebook page as well, which pretty much mirrors the content. Um, but go to the website. There's, there's, you can see the books. I think the books are the easiest way to access my work. Um, you can do coaching. I do one-on-one and group coaching, um, but also the online courses. I really recommend people try out the, uh, they get the book, but also get the online course because it can be very powerful training for you and help you build your own daily practice. Um, I have an upcoming offering around uh, uh, probably a workshop that is around dark sexual energy and men really, you know, we've gotten so nice guy like, mm-hmm. how do you bring more dark energy? And I, you know, I don't know about your listeners, but, a, but the vast, vast majority of the women that I talk to in relationship are wanting a little bit more of that darkness out of their man, particularly in the bedroom. And even the big grit on your face tells me you, you've heard this from, you know, other men or, or other sources, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's one of the things I'm most excited about uh, bringing to the world is, uh, is this workshop around dark sexual awesome. energy. Yeah. Yeah. I grin because my most popular piece of content I've ever put out there is about uh, that dark masculine energy, you yeah. know, that, that edgy side that we can bring to a relationship of like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what to do right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you play with power dynamics in a world that is scarred by misogyny and domineering? You know, it's, it's a tricky dance, but, um, but I, I feel like I've got, I've got, I won't say the answer, but I've got a lot to offer in helping men cultivate this, even in that kind of confusing environment. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like we have a follow-up conversation already lined up. Yeah, exactly. Our third one. Yeah. Thanks again, GS. Hey, maybe, we, maybe we'll get you to come to the workshop. You know, I would be happy to come by and, and chat with you about that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and got as much value out of it as I know it brought a lot of value to my life right now. This is the second time I've had the opportunity to speak to GS one-on-one and bring him onto the podcast to answer questions that our community has on a frequent basis. If you found value in today's conversation, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and written review on your favorite podcast platform. That goes a really long way to helping us get the message of the podcast out to more people where we cover modern dating, health and wellness, inspiration, motivation, and overall well-being in your lives. Also, if you know somebody who would get value out of the conversation today, please share this episode with just one person so that we can have our own impact in improving modern dating, where text messages, social media, and dating apps seems to be the way that people connect and communicate as they they get back out there into the dating scene. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Connect with me on TikTok at Dave Blazer or on Instagram at DaveBlazer underscore CSCS. Likewise, please connect with GS Youngblood through his website, gsyoungblood.com, or on Instagram at gsyoungbloodmir. He's always available to answer my questions, and I know he'll be there for you too. So please don't hesitate to connect with him deeper and share this episode with one person. 
Until next week, this is Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado, wishing you health and happiness wherever you're at in the world.